Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Lopez wants it away. And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Gentlemen, Mets fans of all ages, here is your host, Nick Durst. Hello, Mets fans. Nick Durst here. We are back once again for another episode of Believe in the Mets. And right now, unfortunately, during the season, there is not a lot to believe in. They're grinding it out here. The dog days of summer are behind us. Now it's the end of the fall. Pretty soon, everyone can exhale, breathe a big sigh of relief. And right now, they are just kind of going through the motions. The players are still trying, though. They're trying the field. Interesting quote the other night where the Mets played the Nationals, which is the last team they're going to play this season with a losing record. So the Mets are really going to impact the pennant race for sure. But Gary Cohen, the Mets play-by-play announcer, he was talking about a conversation with Buck and Buck mentioned something along the lines, how, you know, they, they're going to play, got to play the games against losing teams different than the teams that have a winning record because they owe it to the other teams in the league to play hard against the winning record teams. So basically they asked Buck, what does that mean? What'd you do differently here? And he said, well, maybe Brett Beatty wouldn't have gotten the start tonight on that night. He was starting against the lefty and Brady's a left-handed hitter. So who knows if maybe there's something there, but, I personally, as a Mets fan, would like to see the young guys just play, see what they got. There's really no point here in trying to play a righty versus lefty, lefty versus righty matchup at this point in the season. It does not matter. And the Mets here, last year, good season, top of the standings, top wild card team this year to last place, and hopefully next year back to first. So joining me now, somebody who knows about going from the playoffs to worst to first former big league catcher, Ryan LaVarnway. Ryan, welcome to the show. And how, how, how do you relate to what I kind of just said there back to your Red Sox days where you guys were, you can't be a rookie season. You made the playoff push next year, last place, following season World Series. Yeah, and then again, last place in the division the year after that, Nick. Thanks for having me today. Uh, I can relate 100% to what the Mets are going through right now. They came into the season with high expectations, a lot of pressure, big contracts, an ownership team and a fan base that believed in them. And then they couldn't get it done for whatever reason. And, and that's the magic bullet everyone is always looking for, right? Is how do you guarantee yourself a winning season? How can you buy a World Series? The Yankees have been trying to do it for 20 years. Mets ownership did everything you would have asked them to do this year. And it just didn't work out. 
So how can they take this last month of the season and still build for the future, still get benefit out of it? And I'm working with the Colorado Rockies broadcast team right now. They're going through the same thing. The Rockies had lower expectations this season. You know, the ownership of the Rockies before the season started said, I hope we're a 500 team. That's a different place than the Mets started. But right now they're in the same place where at the trade deadline, they were sellers. All the big contracts, all the veteran guys that aren't the future of the organization are gone. It's time to let the young players play, see who, who's got it, who's going to survive and thrive at the big league level, and playing against teams that are in the playoff hunt. So you still wanna, you're still going to play meaningful baseball, even if it's not meaningful for your team making the playoffs this year. So being in a clubhouse after your team is a seller, coming off really high expectations – What's that like going through the rest of the season where you know, okay, the talent's really not going to be here for us to totally compete? How do you grind it out there the last two months of the season? Well, I think there's three distinct groups that people fall into. The coaching staff uh, will be looking over their shoulder a little bit because in the big leagues, it's about winning and it's about getting the job done. If you lose, somebody's head is going to roll. So the coaching staff is going to be trying to do their best, make themselves useful, and make an argument for why they're still building for the future. Then you have the veteran contract players that are still around and get traded. They didn't get sold at the deadline, and they are now living through the growing pains of a rebuilding phase. So those guys are getting their reps. They understand that they're playing for their next contract, even if these games don't matter. They've already established themselves. They've already made money. They're hoping to play meaningful winning games this year, but now they need to take on more of a leadership role for the young guys. Show them this is baseball. This is how we do things. This is how we're going to win. This is how we've had success in the past. This is how I survived at the big league level. How can I help you? And then you have those young players that are trying to establish themselves, that are trying to prove I belong here. I'm not going to drown in the pressure and the competition level that is big league baseball. And they need to find a way to get comfortable to say, okay, maybe we're out of it, but this is my opportunity to establish myself. This is my opportunity to cement myself in this lineup and force the hand of the coaches and the front office staff and staff ownership to make me be on the opening day roster next year, make me be part of the plans going forward. And I'm going to be part of the next winning team that we have in this franchise. Absolutely. Very well said. And there are different groups there. So how do you act in the clubhouse where, you know, sometimes there's players, like you mentioned, you think they're going to get traded and they aren't traded or people aren't traded. Then later on, there's rumors that the Met, the team was listening to trade rumors on the uh, trade discussions on this player. So like, for example, with the Mets here, we it came out recently that the Mets were fielding calls to trade Pete Alonzo. I think trading Pete Alonzo, maybe you get a big return, but how are you replacing a guy who's going to hit 40 home runs and drive in 110 every year? And keep in mind, Ryan, that this year he's currently, I think, one home run behind Matt Olson for the MLB lead, and he's second in RBI, but he missed, I think, 15 games because he got drilled in the wrist by Charlie Moore. So how does a player's mindset change in the second half where your team sells and then either A, you weren't sold and you thought you were going to be, or B, you weren't sold, then you find out that maybe, well, you were closer to moving than you thought. 
Yeah, so that's that's a hard conversation to have, but nobody is better equipped to have that conversation than Buck Showalter, who is at the helm. He he's the the stalwart. He's the guy that everybody can believe in and trust. I personally was told by the team I would be to that I would be on their team by the end of the day one time, and then the trade fell through. Uh, there was a second time later in my career where it was leaked that I had been in trade talks and that they had been negotiating for me. And, and my personal experience with it was that I felt, you know, a little bit blindsided, a little bit betrayed. But it's something where you feel like you're part of something. You feel like you're a part of this organization. And then you start to understand, but baseball is a business. Baseball as a sport, baseball as the comrade, uh, camaraderie, baseball as the we're all going to war together. That's one part of it. And the business of baseball is totally separate. So I think the people that the players that understand it's a business you're not, you're not going to take it personal, um, but you want to feel like I'm part of this. I'm giving my heart and my soul to this team. I feel like a member. I feel like brothers with these guys. So you, you don't want to feel like they're thinking about trading you away. Absolutely. So you mentioned Buck Showalter. You, you briefly played for him with the Orioles. What was it like having him as, as the skip? Buck, Buck is my favorite big league manager that I've played for him and, and Terry Francona as a, as a very close second. Uh, but I've played for 12 big league managers, so I have a pretty big sample size. And the thing that really makes Buck stand out as my favorite is that I was the last man on that roster for the Orioles in 2015. I was the 25th guy on a 25-man roster. I was with the team for 60 days. I think I only played nine or 10 games. But every single day, he went out of his way to make sure that he talked to me. Every single day, he went out of his way to make sure that I felt like I was an important member of that team. And similar to how we were just talking about guys feeling with the trade deadline, he made me feel valued. He made me feel like my place and my role on the team was important. And we talked about baseball, right? Because we're, we're baseball players. Uh, we're brothers. We want to feel like we're in it. And, and Buck Showalter is always really quick to give credit and really quick to accept blame. You hear him talk about it. When we're winning, it's because we have good players. It's not because I'm an amazing coach that motivated them or, or made the right moves or put the right lineup together. It's because we have great players. And, and when something goes wrong, he's the other way, right? Well, we could have coached that better. We could have prepared our players better. And he takes that. And the players feel that, right? Even though Buck is talking to the media, even though he's talking to the press and the fans, he's talking to the players also. And I think he understands that, and the players really respect him for it. I know I certainly did. Absolutely, and that's why we heard maybe earlier this season, oh, Buck has lost the clubhouse. I doubt it. I highly doubt that. And there were so many veterans in there. And how does that work, Ryan? Is there a lot of interaction usually with the manager dealing with the clubhouse drama, or are the veterans policing that out? In my experience, a lot of so-called clubhouse drama – can be filtered out or it can be made like a larger issue by the media because the media is in the clubhouse for an hour before the game and 45 minutes or an hour before the game and 45 minutes after the game. They're not there for the whole time. They're not there in the heat of the moment. They're there after things have cooled down a little bit or before the heat of battle. So the good managers that I've played for, they talk to all the players individually, but the clubhouse culture is really handled by the veteran players. Absolutely. Okay. So the Mets, they had a lot of veterans, some really big veterans with some major aura in the Max Scherzer yeah. and Justin Verlander. 
Lindor, the leader as well. And right now they're kind of in this transitional phase. I think Alonzo, to me personally, is is the captain, so to say. I, I think it's a little overblown when they said he's a captain in baseball. But, you know, there's usually a, I would think there's a bunch of guys that, that kind of lead the way. And there's different guys for different groups of, of people, right? So you yeah. have the, the people from this background that background and everybody goes to their different type of leader is that kind of how it works in there yeah there's the language barrier piece of it there's the spanish speakers what i would imagine lindor is is the leader of that group i don't want to ex- explain it like it's clicky because big league locker rooms are not clicky right but if you speak spanish as your first language you're going to naturally gravitate towards the guys that speak your language first pete alonzo might be the leader for the english-speaking guys and Alonzo and Lindor are going to be aligned. They're going to be pushing the same agenda, which is Mets baseball, which is winning baseball games and going forward and building a franchise that is going to have sustainable success. So as far as success goes for this franchise, I think if they want to succeed next year, I want to see Buck Walter back. Last year, we saw Dusty Baker win his World Series. The only person left that really needs to get one out is Buck Walter. He's always been ahead of the curve with things, as you mentioned, gets you guys very prepared. Do you think that Buck would want to potentially stick around for a few more years here if it's not going to be a win now type of team? Or do you think maybe he's going to say, all right, I'll move on? I personally think that due to his age, he's probably going to say, I'll stick it out here. But we saw with, with your Orioles, eventually they went to that tank mode, which is paying off now because the Orioles are the best team in baseball. And he was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm on TV for now, for a while, but it took a while to get back in the game with this, with the Mets. Well, I think that's a better question for Buck. Right. And I don't know if he would give you a straight answer or if he would no. give you <laughs> a politically correct answer until he makes his decision. But what I know about Buck Showalter is that he loves baseball. He loves being in competitive environments and playing to win uh, and supporting his guys. So I don't expect the Mets to go go into full tank mode the way that Orioles did. It's a very different market, and New York is never going to live for that. They're not going to accept that, and your owner has shown that they have deep pockets. If if they need to go make a move, they need to go buy some players, they can do it. So I don't expect the Mets to downturn as deep or for as long as what the Orioles did. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. But if we're using the Orioles as an example, you can see how quick, once it bottoms out, it can bounce back really quick and really, really high all the way to the top. Absolutely. So a piece that the Mets, at least we know, have in place here moving forward is Kodai Singh. I know you did one of his games earlier this season, watching him when they pitch against the Rockies. He was better than advertised. He's become an ace. Right now he's third in the NL in ERA. Uh, I know you're watching, you see a lot of NL West games. Where would you vote here as far as rookie of the year? Would you go Sanga or would you go Corbin Carroll because he's everyday player? It's the, that's the debate, right? Is 
Can you give a pitcher one of these all-encompassing awards? I know Justin Verlander won the MVP a few years ago. Kodai Senga has meant a lot to the Mets, but he's meant a lot to the Mets every fifth day. 30-plus games a season. And Corbin Carroll is affecting the game every game. You know, the Rockies just played the Diamondbacks. I was, I was broadcasting the game last night. And in the third inning, Corbin Carroll made a catch on a ball in right field that would have put the Rockies ahead 8-1. to one. Instead, he makes that catch on defense, 340 expected batting average. He makes this catch. He's running 23 miles per hour. He covers 52 feet in a matter of seconds. The Rockies had 87.7 win percentage at that point. If that ball dropped, it would have been over 90%. The Diamondbacks came back to win that game. Yeah. And that's something that you're not even going to notice that Corbin Carroll did at the end of the season. You're not even going to notice that he made the plays on defense. You're going to know at his offense, his stolen bases, his RBIs, his run score, his production. But he's affecting the game in that way. So to me, you have to give it to Corbin Carroll, especially if you know he came out of the game after being hit by a pitch yesterday. If he stays healthy and he continues the games, I think you got to give it to Corbin Carroll. Yeah, Carroll has been great early on in the season. People are thinking maybe MVP, like Ichiro. Uh, Diamondbacks have fell back a little, but he's having a fantastic season. Looks like one of the big bright stars of the future here. Senga, obviously, he's a little older. He's 30, but it looks like he's going to be a star here, a fixture for years to come. Wouldn't be surprised if next year he gets even better. Now he has a whole year of experience, and maybe he does become that ace. Maybe he does become the best pitcher in, in the NL. Curious to hear your thoughts on here. I mean, obviously, you know, in this scenario, but Senga here, you know, he's going to be there in the rotation. Now the Mets, they're rumored to maybe go after Yamamoto from Japan, who is apparently even better than Senga. And then obviously, Otani's a free agent. So we talked about this on this podcast with with, uh, Dexter Henry from the New York Post. And he said, you know, perhaps, you know, maybe players who are like, like-minded backgrounds or same cultures in the past want to play together. We do see it at times with, with these guys uh, from Dominican or Puerto Rico. Last year, you know, Lindor was really trying to get Correa to, to join the Mets. So speaking from your experience here, Ryan, if you had this, this big market here, would you be looking to maybe go play with players you know or had some familiarity with? Or are you going to strictly keep it to to a business perspective or I want to win? Well, that's an interesting perspective that I hadn't thought of. The New York market really capturing the most popular and the most talented Japanese players could be incredible. That is a marketing opportunity that if any ownership team was going to take advantage of, it would be the Mets ownership teams. That's really interesting. But like you said, not only – are they very popular, very marketable players where you're going to make a ton of money on the merchandise, on the team contracts, on the ad sales, but they're also really good pitchers. And I think ultimately the front office, when they're looking to fill their rotation and they're looking to fill the line, they're looking more at who are the best players. So if you want to bring in Otani, I think you're going to have to back up the brink because even if he's just hitting for one year, Maybe he's just pitching out of the bullpen. Who knows how he's going to come back from this second surgery. Um, but I actually, I'm in love with this idea right now. All right. Let's make it happen, Ryan. Feel free to float it out if you're doing some off-season shows this year. But I think I think that's the way you kind of go about it. Obviously, Steve Cohen's got the money. 
But then you hear, okay, Otani doesn't want to play on the East Coast. So maybe he does want to play because of those reasons he can play with other Japanese players, plus the money. So maybe if all things are equal, that could maybe be a difference point. We got Yamamoto. He's going to come from Japan next year. He's going to be posted in the offseason. He is basically their equivalent of the Cy Young three times. His ERA is about 2.14. So we'll see if that happens there. Again, Steve Cohen has the money, but according to Max Scherzer and Bill, from Billy Epler to him, is that they're not really going to be looking to spend that much money this offseason. We'll see how that how that impacts. But Ryan, for you, you know, let's let's put just in a, put you in a in a position here. Let's say you know you're coming off a huge year. You're going into free agency for the first time. Is 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 your first call your agent? You're going to be call Steve Cohen because I think that's what I would say to my agent. Call Steve Cohen. Let's see how much money we can get, or at the very least, let's start getting the money up there, get the bidding up, and start it at the ground floor with what Steve Cohen has to offer. Doesn't it? Well, when I was playing, there was never an owner like Steve Cohen, and right. players have been dying for a guy like Steve Cohen to come into the game for a long time. Generally, the way that the free agent market works is on the day the free agency opens. You turn your phone on and you hope that you get incoming calls. Players players aren't pursuing specific teams. But if they were going to pursue specific teams, you have to decide, am I trying to set up generational wealth for my family? Or is a free agent contract going to set me up no matter what? And I want to go somewhere that where I can win. And you know that there's different players that have the different perspective. And... Personally, I was all about winning. I never had a lot of options, right? It was, you know, I would receive one incoming call, maybe two. Uh, but these guys that everybody's going to want them, if we can have what happened in the NBA happen in baseball, where we start having players talk to each other, hey, where do we want to go? Because we think we can build a core of winning of a winning team. That would be really interesting because Steve Cohen has proven that if there's a core group of guys and there's some specific impact players that he thinks can come in and make this a winning team, he'll do it. We'll see. I think it's going to be very interesting to see this offseason what Steve Cohen does. Last year he spent a lot of money, but a lot of it was actually on bringing players back. They extended McNeil. They gave Nimmo this huge nine-year deal. The Rockies were rumored to be going hard after Nimmo, so Cohen had to up the ante there. And you know, he did the short-term deal with, with Verlander, which he had to do with DeGrom going to, to Texas. So he spent, and it didn't really work out this year. So we'll see if he, you know, he gets antsy in the offseason. He's like, oh, well, oh, this guy wants to play for me? Uh, okay, we'll, we'll make it happen. So it's going to be curious to, you're curious to see how that plays out. Last thing here I want to talk to you about, Ryan, would be Francisco Alvarez. He's having a great rookie season. He's got a chance here to break the all-time single-season rookie home run record, which was set by Johnny Bench. And this season, he started in the minor leagues. Buck Showalter said in the beginning of the season, well, if all goes well, maybe, you know, the best we can hope for is we'll see him in September. He got to come up immediately because Omar Nevarez got hurt. Thomas Nito was not able to hit at all. And Alvarez, his average is, is struggling, but He's got the power numbers, got the RBI. At some points, he did carry the team. So Alvarez, much like you, his MO coming up through the system was he could hit, but he cannot defend. He's proven that he's got a quick release, and he has been able to call games. At first, he got called up, and the talk in the New York media was, 
the players, the pitching staff doesn't trust him. You know, they'd rather pitch to Nito, even if he's not going to give them offense. But he kind of earned that trust, and he he became Max Scherzer's personal catcher. He caught Justin Verlander. And for a rookie to step in and you're going to have two Hall of Famers on your staff, that's asking a lot. So how do you how did you go about earning the trust of the veteran pitchers when you had your first season in the majors? Well, Nick, it's a it's a hard thing to especially when they have a player that they are used to, a player that they've become really tight with and and trust. Um, but when you're that rookie guy, you need exactly what happened for Francisco Alvarez to happen. You need one pitcher to take you under their wing, show you that they trust you, and let the other guys see the light. Right. For me, I had I had uh, Kevin Millwood. Kevin Millwood took me under his wing. He would call pitches to me from the mound. Right. As soon as the batter looked away, he'd flash a, one of these or he'd go like this with his head. And he he I felt like I was a baby deer being led through the woods by by his mama deer. Right. And he showed me the way. This is how you call pitches at this level. He talked to me uh, <laughs> on a minor road trip. We didn't take the bus. He hired a limo. And we took a limo so that we could talk. You need a guy like that, like Max Scherzer for Francisco Alvarez, say, hey, this is how we pitch at this level. This is what works for me. This is what I need from you. I need you to set up your target early. I need you to be lower. I need more demonstrative with your body language. And then the rest of the pitchers are like, hey, I really like what he's doing with Max. I really like the way he's doing that. I like the way he's calling pitches. And that's how you start to earn the trust. But like I said, I think he needed Max Scherzer to do that. And good on you, Max Scherzer, for taking him under his wing because Francisco Alvarez is going to be a really good player for a really long time. Yeah, I would think the way he's he's hit so far, he, he's probably going to be an all-star at some point. Not too many catchers are going to finish the season playing 110 games, hitting 30 home runs and knocking in 50 to 60 runs. That's that's big numbers for for a catcher, especially in a rookie season. But as you know, with the hitting, once that off-speed stuff comes into into play in the next season, you maybe got to rework your game. So how do you think he can maybe keep up those power numbers and potentially rise, raise his average? Because at some point he was batting around 260. Now he's batting around 212. Well, anytime they're in the conversation with the same name as Johnny Bench, you're in a good place. He's proving he's got the power numbers. Typically, the average comes before the power in a player's development. But at 103 games, you know that the league already has a scouting report. The league has already made the adjustment to Francisco Alvarez. Now it's his turn to make the adjustment back. He said he's caught 103 games this year. That is a ton of baseball. I guarantee you his legs are tired. I guarantee you his back is a little tired. The offseason is going to benefit him. He's going to get back to full strength. He's going to have the experience of 100 games in his belt, and he's going to come in the next year knowing what he needs to work on, knowing how the league thinks they can get him out. And with that arsenal of information, he's going to be able to make his adjustment back to what the league has adjusted to him. Looking forward to seeing what the future is for him. And Ryan, what was your offseason routine when you were under contract and knew which team you're going to be on next season? How do you go about preparing for, for the season and do you, do you stay in contact with any of your pitchers or anything like that? Yeah, you definitely stay in contact with your guys. I would typically take two weeks off, maybe three, not do anything. Maybe go out, go on some runs, flush it out, but not lift, not pick up a ball, not pick up a bat. You, you really need to cover from the marathon that is the baseball season. 
And then when November comes around, you know, I've been watching playoff baseball. I was locked in mentally, but now, now my body's recovered. Now I start to miss it. Now I start to feel a hunger and a desire and that fire burning inside me to get ready for the next year and to be better. There was one year where I didn't take any time off. I ended up feeling injured the whole next year. So you got to give yourself some time to recover physically. And then once that inkling starts to hit you where now it's go time, you start to build up the weights. You start to build your arm back into shape. You start to take your swings. And normally around Christmas, you start to hit it a little bit harder because now we're now we're six to eight weeks out from spring training. It's go time. There you go. All right. Well, we're getting towards that the time here of the offseason. Only a few weeks left in the regular season, and then we got the playoffs. And it should be a good playoffs. I think there's a lot of teams in it this year that could potentially win it all. Very balanced competitively, especially in the AL. I think in the NL, if it's not the Braves or Dodgers, I think many teams would be surprised. But we were surprised last year with the Phillies. And the Padres making their runs, so we'll see how it all plays out. Ryan, this has been great. Thanks so much for your time. Let everybody know where they could could find your stuff. And you are an author. You have a new book that came out, so let everybody know about that as well. Yeah, well, thanks, Nick. Uh, you can check out all my updates on my Instagram at rlevarnway or on my website ryanarnway.com. My new kids' book is called Baseball and Belonging. Available anywhere you can buy books online, or if you want a signed copy, get it through my website ryanarnway.com. All right, there you are, everybody. Check that out ASAP. You're not going to regret it. And make sure you're following us on all social media platforms at Believe in the Mets, at B-L-E-A-V-I-N-T-H-E-M-E-T-S. I am on Twitter at Nick underscore Durst and on Instagram at Nick's Food and Stuff. And that is going to do it here for this episode of Believe in the Mets. Until next time, everybody, let's go Mets. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.